Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now let's jump into this week's message. First John chapter three, that's where we're gonna be today. If you are new or you haven't been tracking with us, we've been studying through this book. And I don't know if you know this, but this book is packed full of some really powerful truths. And uh, what I love about John is um, his, he seems like his personality type is somebody who's just like very black and white. Um, he kind of just tells you how it is. I don't know uh, if you like that or not, um, but that's kind of how he is. And that's how he's addressing this group of believers in a time that is full of political unrest, religious persecution, moralistic decay, and all the rest. I mean, sounds pretty familiar, right? And it's in this time that John pens this letter to a group of believers to kind of challenge them on this idea of if you are saying you are walking in the light, if you are identifying as a believer in Christ, there should be some evidences in your life of that reality. And I believe that what John has written in this letter, and I believe what God has for us today, is perhaps one of the most pertinent messages that we could hear right now in this hour that we find ourselves as the church. Why? Because much like the culture that was then, we find ourselves in a moment full of political unrest. I mean, we're in a, we're in a um, very political time as we're getting ready to um, bring in a new president or keep the president. I don't know what's going to happen. The Lord has that. Um, but there's religious persecution and there's all these attacks on truth and anxiety and depression are at an all-time high. And um, you see all these people attacking truth and people deconstructing from their faith. And you might say, what is it going to take to turn all this stuff around? And John's not mincing words, but his message is strong and pertinent and has a sense of urgency that I believe is right on time for us this Sunday, this morning, today. What he has for us today, I think, might help us unravel or uncover what it's going to take to turn this around, turn things around in our lives and in the world. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, John says this. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I believe what John is proposing in this passage is that if we are going to say that we are children of light, this should be 
the outcome. What we see in this passage is a command to love one another. Would you pray with me? God, we really, really need your help to unpack this and understand this and know what to do with it. And so God, we ask, we invite you into this moment and ask you that you would help us understand and apply this to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. John is very clear in what his uh, message is to this group of believers, and it's a command to love one another. What's he say in verse 11? For this message that you have heard from the, from the beginning. Now, this was not the beginning of John's ministry. He's not saying, hey, since I came on the scene, this is what I've been saying. No, this has been God's central message to mankind. You wanna know what God is all about? He's all about love. He's all about showing you that he loves you. This has been his central message from the dawn of time that I love you. This is the message that John was portraying to the believers that was receiving this letter. And what was the message? The message was that you should love, that we should love. This has been God's central message since the dawn of time. The great theologian, John Lennon, once said, all you need is love. Some of you got that, it's okay. I love the Beatles. You know, I was in a Beatles cover band for about a week in middle school. I really thought we were going to go places. Um, but we had too many arguments, so we had to break up. Um, the command is to love. If you were to do a study of this word, the word used in this passage, there's many different words in the original Greek that uh, are translated love, that kind of denote or communicate different facets or ideas of love. And the one that's used in this passage is this idea of agape. Agape. Simply put, agape love is unconcerned with the self and, un and concerned with the greatest good of another. John Piper put it this way, love is not just a feeling, it's a commitment to seek the highest good of another person, even at great personal cost. I think it's important for us to define this word and to define that this, type, this is the type of love we're talking about, especially in the wake of Valentine's Day, right? We've just gotten out of this lovey-dovey season where you know, we're expressing love by buying gifts or taking our loved ones out for dinner or whatever. Um, this is a different type of love, a deeper, a deeper, more rich type of love. It's so deep and it's hard to kind of um, communicate it in our English language. That's why Paul spent the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 trying to communicate what this idea of agape love is. Spent an entire chapter talking about it. It's hard to kind of communicate and uh, explain the depth of what this word really means. There's another word in the Hebrew language that kind of um, goes a step further. And I had never heard this word until this last fall. We invited Michael Hendricks. I don't know if you were with us for that time, but he came. He's a spiritual formations guy. He's given his life to this work of discipleship and spiritual formation, transformation. Um, he wrote this book called The Other Half of Church. And uh, the leadership here has read through that and it's kind of transformed the way we look at discipleship. But anyways, we invited him to come and um, train up our community group leaders um, in, this, 
in this way of discipleship and uh, spiritual formation from this book, The Other Half of Church. If you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do it. Anyways, he communicates or he explains this idea in chapter four of his book. He introduces this word in a Hebrew. It's called hesed. Very commonly, uh, agape is kind of the same translation, but it's a bit deeper. Hesed translated is a faithful love, a loyal kindness, a loving kindness, and an enduring love. And Michael says in his book, this Hebrew word carries the sense of an enduring connection, enduring connection that brings about life and all good things into a relationship. An enduring connection that brings life. That's what this idea of agape or hesed love is to communicate. Is this love that is enduring, it's faithful, it's deep. It's an enduring, loving connection that brings about life. And it's this type of hesed love that Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And he says, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love, in hesed. The command is simple to abound and increase in hesed towards one another. It's this hesed love we are to abound in towards one another. These, it's these loving, relational, enduring connections or attachments John is imploring believers to have for one another. See, John wrote this book to a group of believers, to a church. And it's this type of love we're to have for one another, the believers, the family of God. But family sometimes can be the hardest ones to love, right? I'm glad you guys could be honest about that. First service wasn't as honest about it. I'm like, man, maybe I'm just really bad at family. I don't know. But family can be the hardest ones to love. It's easier to love people outside the family. I, I, growing up, uh, I had all of these aspirations as a kid. Yes, I was in a Beatles cover band. I loved playing music, whatever. Um, but the other thing that I loved to do was cooking. I loved to bake. Some of my fondest memories as a child was going to my grandma's house and baking pies and cookies and cakes for all the holidays and stuff. And it was during that time that I really fell in love with baking and cooking. And uh, I really thought I was going places. I even had my own baking uh, business as a 10, 11, 12-year-old called Chef E's Cookies. I, don't laugh. It was serious. I thought I was going places with this thing. Um, I, I, you know, I love to bake. You know, I even put some cookies in a baking competition as a kid, and I won. You know, I really thought I was going to win. I really thought I was going places with this. Anyways, I thought this was what I was going to do with my life. And as I fur went further along and graduated high school, I ended up going to Bible school, and it was clear that the Lord had put a call in my life to serve him in the local church and I'm, I was totally okay with that. But I can remember as I was going through Bible college, um, really wrestling with, okay, if this is what God wants me to do, where does he want me to do it, right? Um, I, remember I had gone on a short-term missions trip to Bolivia, so I thought maybe he was going to call me there to be a missionary to the country of Bolivia. Um, I was working in the admissions office at school, so I thought maybe that's what I would be doing. Um, obviously, I loved playing music, so I thought maybe God would call me to to a local church, whether it was outside of New York or in New York. I was really hoping it wasn't in New York because I don't know if you know this, but it's kind of depressing to live here because 
the sun shines like two times a year. I mean, we've been very fortunate this year. I mean, last, the last couple weeks, I mean, don't expect the sun to shine too much next year because we got it all in the last two weeks. But anyways, I was, I was like, maybe the Lord's calling me to Florida, you know? Like, I think he really wants me to serve, serve him on the, on the beaches of Florida. Um, but I remember coming home on breaks and I would, I would be talking to my mother about this. And all throughout my life, she kind of had this MO towards me. But I can remember she said this to me in one of the conversations we had. I was talking to her about different options I had after I was going to graduate school um, that had nothing to do with staying in New York. And um, I remember her saying to me, she said, why are you so willing to go somewhere else to do this? And you're not even willing to do it here. Like, how can you expect to go express this love of Christ to the world if you're not even willing to do it in our house? You're not even willing to do it in our own backyard. You know, I remember she would always say this, Elijah, there's plenty of opportunities in our own backyard. And the answer is because it's easier. It's easier to love somebody that's not in my backyard or not in my family. And there's a writer, his name is um, G.P. Lewis. I happened upon this quote this week. He says, he communicates this better. He says, it's much easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Then listen to what he says. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. I'm gonna read that again. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. And the reason I harp on this is because John is very pointed about where this Hesed love is to be experienced and expressed. And it's towards the family of God. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be evangelistic. I'm not saying we shouldn't share the gospel and express love to the world. But his message is clear, to love the brothers, to express this Christ-like love to the family of God. It's in the confines of this room that we are to express this love. And if we are all about, you know, going on missions trips and giving all to these great things and serving, you know, our communities, but we aren't loving our family in this room, John is very clear. He's saying, if you aren't willing to express this here, how can you say that you have the love of Christ abiding in you? The command is to love one another, the family of God. And you see how serious he is about this message by what he says next. He goes on in this passage and he says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. He goes on to say, whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now listen, John is using really strong language here and it's not to scare you or kind of guilt you into doing what he wants you to do. I think he's trying to communicate the severity, the seriousness and the urgency of his message. Stop hating one another. And now I'm just gonna have an honest family moment with you guys, right? We're all family here, right? One of the greatest joys of being a pastor, um, 
especially here at Grace Chapel, I'm so thrilled about what God is doing in our church. God is doing a great work here. I don't know if you've looked around, but he's doing an amazing thing. And I'm so thrilled about what he's doing in our kids' ministry, our student ministry, what he's doing um, in, our, in our community ministry as people are coming together in small groups of people to experience this Christ-like love with each other. I'm super excited about what he's doing in our prayer ministry. I honestly... Um, would go on record and say everything that is happening in our midst that's good and furthering the kingdom of God, I honestly would attribute to our prayer ministry. We would not be where we are if it weren't for the faithful prayers of the people in this church. So hats off to David Murray and his team. So thrilled about that. But can I be honest? There's some things that aren't so thrilling. Right? Like, I look at this passage, and I'm like, why is he writing this to the church, right? Like, there's not division in the church. There's not disunity. We don't need this type of message, right? Judging by the silence, you know that I'm kidding. We can get so caught up with petty arguments about things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. We get so caught up arguing and harboring bitterness and anger and frustration towards one another over things that have nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus spreading to the uttermost parts, that have nothing to do with our spiritual growth, We get so caught up in things like, well, leadership isn't doing this. If they would just do this, then maybe things would be better. Or, you know, so-and-so said this to me today, and that really set me off. Or so-and-so is doing this, and so-and-so smells like this, and I don't know why they always wear this perfume every week or whatever. I don't know what it is. But we get so caught up in these petty arguments, which breeds anger and frustration and hostility and resentment in our hearts towards our family And John is very, very clear. Can we be honest here? He's saying that if that is you, if you are in this room right now and you find yourself harboring any sort of resentment, bitterness, anger, frustration towards leadership of this church, towards anybody in this room, towards a family member of God, he says that he is strong enough to say that if that is you, you are abiding in death. He labels you as a murderer. See, Jesus came to give life. He laid his life down in order to bring about life. And what John is saying in this passage is that if you are harboring anger and bitterness towards a brother in this room, you are abiding in death and you are not bringing about life. You are taking life. You're robbing yourself of life and you're robbing life from the church. And what he's saying to us this morning is to stop it. Don't be like Cain. If that is you, he's putting you in the same camp as Cain. And he's pleading with you. He's pleading with us to stop it. If that is you, I'm pleading with you to stop, to choose forgiveness, to choose to love. 
All right, I'll settle down now. How then should this play out? What then are we to do? It's simple. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He is our example. John says it right there. By this we know love. You want to know what love is? It's this, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us. Then he says, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Jesus is our example. The only way that we're going to exemplify this type of love towards one another is if we have experienced this type of love ourselves. See, you cannot will yourself to love in this way. Sure, you can be like super moral and do a lot of really good things. There's a lot of great people in this world that are doing a lot of great things. But when it comes to this type of love, you cannot will that up yourself. It has to be something that is experienced in your heart that is deposited into you by Jesus himself. If we are to be a community of faith that is marked by love, that is loving one another well, we must be a community of faith that has been loved well. If we have been given the treasure of heaven, which is Jesus himself, his love, but aren't willing to share it with our family, how can we say that that treasure ever came to us in the first place? I.e., if we say that we are abiding in Christ, but we aren't willing to express that love to the brothers and sisters in this room, how can we say that the love of Christ abides in us? John gives us a super clear picture of what this expressed love looks like. As you continue reading down through this passage, he says, listen, if any of you say you have the world's goods and you see a brother in need and you close your heart towards them, how can you say that you, the love of Christ abides in you? Right? I love this passage because, listen, how, how can you say that you have the world's goods and you see Pastor Elijah and Avery and we're exhausted and you see that we need a vacation in Florida and you're not willing to pay for that? How can you say? <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. But... It's true. How can we say that the love of, if we find ourselves driving down the street and driving down by destiny, we see the homeless people and the disparity there and we're not willing and we close our hearts to them and we're not willing to help. How can we say that the love of Christ dwells in us? If we see a need in the church and we close our hearts towards that, how can we say that the love of Christ dwells in us? If we stand up here on this stage week in and week out and say, hey, we really need your help to step into these things, to serve in these ways, Ways, to serve at Kids Against Hunger, to serve in the kids wing, to serve whatever it might be, and you close your heart off to that, how can you say that the love of Christ abides in you? This is John's message. Listen, I didn't write this. So you can email him. <laughs> John is imploring us this morning. The command is to love one another. How are we to know that the love of Christ dwells within us? Look at how you're loving the family of God. We ask the question, what's it going to take to turn things around? 
to deposit hope into this seemingly hopeless situation in this cultural moment that we find ourselves. It's not gonna be the right president in the, in the White House. It's not gonna be another moralistic person standing up and doing a lot of really good things. It's not gonna be the right prescription or alcohol or drugs. It's not gonna be the right relationship. It's only gonna be found in Jesus Christ himself. You wanna know what's gonna turn things around? It's gonna be the community of God, the community of faith standing up and experiencing the love of Christ and expressing that towards one another. You want to know what's going to transform your life? It's not going to be it's not going to be anything found out in that world. It's going to be found in Jesus himself and experiencing that expressed love in community. It's the only way it's going to happen. Can you imagine what would happen if a community of faith got serious about expressing this love towards one another? Did God not call us the set apart ones? If we are set apart, but we don't look any different than the world, if, if that kind of dissension and disunity and anger and resentment is bleeding into the church, how can we say we are set apart? We're not any different. John is pleading with us this morning. Listen, friends, John is pleading with us. Don't be Cain. but have love for one another. We're gonna go into a time of uh, response. And I'm gonna encourage you this morning to wrestle with a few different questions. This is gonna be a time for you to just be still before the Lord and Ponder what he might be speaking to you in your heart this morning. The first question is this, how are you doing at loving this family? As you look around this room, as you think about what God is doing at Grace Chapel, you are a part of this family. And the question is, how are you doing at loving this family? How is that looking in your life? What does that look like in your life? Is there evidences of love that you have for this family? If you say that you are abiding in Christ, that you are a disciple of Jesus, is there love that is expressed and seen towards this family? How are you doing at loving this family? And the last, the second one is simple. I mean, are, are you being a Cain? Are you Cain? Are you in this room right now and you find yourself just harboring bitterness and anger and resentment and frustration towards brothers and sisters in this room, towards the family of God? If that's you, it's clear. John is pleading with you to stop, to choose forgiveness, to choose to love. And you might be in this room and say, well, you know, I don't really hate anybody. I'm not murdering anybody. And I would challenge that thought by saying, if that's your bar, it's pretty low. See, it's not just enough that you're not hating the brothers. John is pleading with you to abound in love towards one another. Not only should we stop being Cain, but we should be abounding in love towards one another. But is that you? Do you find yourself here being a Cain? The encouragement is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If that's you, 
you can lay down that anger and bitterness and frustration you have at the feet of Jesus, he takes it and forgives you and you can walk free.